welcome to the Inside and Beyond podcast, and I'm your host, Natalia Fomichenko. Inside and Beyond podcast brings together conversations about psychology and spirituality to inspire you to live a more fulfilling life, explore your purpose, and realize your full potential. Hello, everyone. This is the next episode of the Inside and Beyond podcast. Today with me is a very, very, very special guest, Hélène Sintier. She is such an incredible person. She has been working as a data scientist and she has a degree in dancing. However, she is also a psychotherapist, a coach, an author, a podcaster, and she is also a witch. It is incredible how you can combine all these qualities in one person. Ellen, thank you so much for joining. It's lovely to be here, Natalia, and it's absolutely lovely to meet you. Welcome to the show. So how is it possible to combine so many different qualities in one? Could you just walk us through your life journey and, and how, how did you make all those choices around different paths that you are now on? Well, wow. Uh, part of it's being very old. Um, I'm quite old. <laughs> and um, so you live a long time and you do have a chance to do lots of different things, which I certainly have. My parents and their parents and going back and back and back were all brought up in the old magical ways of Britain. So That came with the cornflakes, as they say. Um, I know that because I was brought up in it and we did things like this all my life. And there were, probably still are, but there certainly were a lot of other people in the villages, little tiny villages that I grew up in on Exmoor and Dartmoor, who had also done this. So we were surrounded by people who did what people know now as shamanism. That's in my blood. That's in my bones. But as well as that, I loved dancing. And I first went to ballet classes when I was about four and just carried on dancing and dancing from there. But it's quite hard to make a living being a dancer. And so I went to the other end of the extreme and decided to become a civil servant, as we call it. And I worked for the Ministry of Defence. As a data scientist? Uh, not at first, no. <laughs> at first, I was looking after personnel policy, like how many hundred thousand people are we having in the, in the ministry this year? And then I was looking after the finance of jet engines and financing the new jet fighter. Uh, fighter trainer and uh, I got a ride in a in a jet fighter oh wow yeah you sort of catch up with your stomach when you come back five minutes later wow <laughs> <laughs> and then I my husband for a while he was particle physicist um so that was quite amazing but he got he didn't want to do that anymore so he became a computer engineer and I was fascinated by what he did And there was an opportunity to learn all the software side in the ministry. So I did. That's incredible. <laughs> But how did this corporate career then led you to a path of being a psychotherapist, a coach, an author? You run retreats, you write books. How did that happen? I've got rheumatoid arthritis and osteoporosis, um, three crush fractures in my spine, 
this shoulder is um, titanium and both my knees are titanium and my feet have been rebuilt four times. Oh, wow. So I was medically retired from the MOD. (laughs) Thank the gods, though. Because if I hadn't been, I would have gone on being a super computer boffin and I wouldn't have done any of the other exciting things. And you decided to build on your witchery heritage. Yep. Psychotherapy. Did you study? Yeah. Uh, It's my second degree. Mm -hmm. And um, did a lot of Jung, but the main degree is the transpersonal psychotherapy. And I was lucky enough to be actually working with and trained by two of the founders of it in in Britain. I've had this all my life. I keep walking into the, the right people. So I don't know quite how you do that, but I have done. That's super likely. I think it's partly you wish it, you know? You think, I really want to do this. I really want something exciting. And then it comes to you. And that, yeah, it brings it to you. Exactly so. And it brought me to these people, to... Ian Gordon-Brown and Barbara Summers. And as I learned with them, as I did the training with them, how they did it, the transpersonal, the whole ethos behind it is so like the old witch ways. My family taught me. So both Ian and Barbara had a strong spiritual background, different, but they each had a strong spiritual background. They encouraged me to say, okay, you, you learn the stuff, but you take it your way. So you're not going to turn out as a flowerpot psychotherapist, you know, like all the others in the row. You're going to be you and use what you've got. And that started in 1990-91, and I've been doing it ever since. Oh, wow, that's an incredible story. And obviously, one of your special abilities that you've got is your witchery heritage. I'd like to hear more about witchery or, or shamanism that runs in your blood and what it means to you and maybe any special capabilities that you have that you can tell us about. What it means to me is that I am totally in love with and in tune with Mother Earth. And I think you'd probably find all pagans feel that way. We know Mother Earth. We've lived with her. You know the trees. You don't think of yourself as a separate thing from a tree. I mean, you are. You're a human being, and a tree is a tree. Um, But that doesn't mean to say you can't feel together and have your emotions together, have gut instincts together, get intuitions through the tree, and maybe the tree, and well, yes, the tree back from you. Um, My uncle, for instance, he was a gardener, and he would always talk to his plants. Now, this is way, way back in the 1950s, and everybody always did. So to come out with his Back at, you know, bugger, bag of lettuce seedlings to plant and say, well, come on, you little buggers, then where do you want to go? And he might have decided, thought to himself that they might be over there. And then he'd feel, get the intuition, the guts, you know, his guts would tell him, no, they should be over there. And he was, he'd done it often enough that if he had planted the lettuces where he thought they wanted to go, they'd probably die. Wow. Because he went and did what happened 
in the moment. This is sort of like mindfulness in a sense. He was with the moment. His guts were working. He was feeling instinctually into it. The lettuces grew fine. We ate them. <laughs> and that's one little thing. And it's, well, it sounds little, but it's enormous because you feel into everything. So how do you do that? You don't, you don't feel separate from the world. Is it like everyone? Everywhere. And everyone can do it. Interesting. So how, how do you do it? <laughs> oh, well, you have to come and work with me. <laughs> um, no, well, you do, but um, you need to learn to get over the fact that I'm not just Ellen. Okay. In this lifetime, I'm Ellen Sentier, but I know that I've had other lifetimes. And I know that this isn't me. This is my body. And I live inside my body. Um, okay, let's take it this way. How old is your skin, Natalia? Have a guess. As old as my age? Nope. It's about five or six weeks old. Ah, true, true. Because it renews so many times during the lifetime. That's true. You got me here. <laughs> Well, no, no, it, 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 it grows. When you, when you put the hoover around, when you're cleaning, up, cleaning house, a lot of the dust that you hoover up is bits of you, skin. True. That have fallen off and new bits have grown. True. And the bone inside my finger, how old's my bone? Well, I'd venture to say that it was with you since birth, but it's grown. I, I bet it's the wrong answer. <laughs> well, most people don't know this because we're not taught it or people aren't taught it much now. But most bone lives for about seven or eight years and it dies and goes into, you know, your bloodstream and then it gets taken round and you excrete it and more bone grows. And so the flesh and the bones that I was born with have been changed 10 times for me in my life. Wow, that's incredible. It's just mind-blowing. But it makes you think, doesn't it? Because this body isn't you. You're Natalia, the Natalia that you've always been all your life. And I'm the Ellen that I've always been. Yeah. Yeah, I get better and know more things and that sort of thing. But I'm not this body. I live inside it. That's interesting. And that is one of the fun fundamental things about all the pagan things, the shamanism, my witchy ways. Because I know I'm not this body. And I know that this body, you know, when I throw the hoover dust away, if I just throw it properly, it might well come back as a cabbage. Because it go down through its atoms and then its atoms will form into soil and they'll grow into the this cabbage seed and then I'll eat the cabbage. And it'll all go around again. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a definitely very, very interesting way to think about it. But then coming back to how we are all one and together, yeah. does it mean then the substance that lives within us, this period, so to say, is the same, or life force, is the same uh, substance that is in every living being? Is that what you're saying? Well... Yes, it's an energy rather than a substance. I shall end up being my ex-particle physicist husband in a minute um, because 
it's energy mm-hmm. that is like spirit. Or we might call it spirit, and a scientist might call it energy. But the energy, and Einstein said this, you, energy cannot be created or destroyed, but it can be changed. So the spirit that is within me is very similar to the spirit that is in, within you, and it's not too dissimilar from the spirit that is within my cat. And it's fairly like the spirit that's in the oak tree out in the garden. But we're all a bit different. It works differently in a tree. It works differently in a cat. And it works differently between you and me. But we're very, very similar. And my energy can talk to your energy. Your energy can talk to my energy. But you need to learn how to do it. Interesting. And that takes a bit of practice. Wow. So you've touched on so many interesting points here, and I would definitely want to come back to the physics world. But now, just to finish with the victory and the abilities that you have, besides this connectedness with other spirits, is there anything else that you practice that is much more special than the normal world? Is witchy. <laughs> um, yes, in a way. And it, but it does relate again to the energy and the physics and the spirit. Because the energy talks, I can hear and feel the plants like Uncle did with the lettuces. Mm-hmm. And part of what you can do is you see. You see reality. So it's fairly difficult for people to lie to me for instance. Mm. I might make out that I believe them and all this sort of thing depends on the situation. Inside it's going, nah, bullshit. <laughs> um, you can tell the truth. So that means strong intuition then? Yes, it, there is, it is. But it's using that intuition so that you can read the person. Most people do it anyway, but they don't realize they're doing it. I mean, you go into a room and you can read the room to a t- degree, can't you? You can tell whether it feels friendly or unfriendly or how they feel. Yeah, that's how it is. Only this is much more defined, much clearer. Have you been, have you, you've been to listen to um, an orchestra? Yeah. And when you first go, it's just a wonderful noise. And if you keep going, you can tell violins from trumpets. And if you keep going, you can tell violins from cello. And that's how it is. You, the more you do it, the more refined you can tell that bit from that bit from that bit. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. So are you only intuitive in the present moment or you can also feel something about events that have not yet happened in the future? Yes, Um, when it's relevant to me. If it's not particularly relevant to me in some way, then I probably won't feel it. If it's very, very big, I might. Um, If it was to do with like a volcano going off, because I I did know about Mount St. Helens going, for instance. Mm -hmm. I did not know about 9-11 because I don't live in New York and it's not particularly relevant to me. And I think you know what you need to know rather than generally getting everything. That makes sense. You don't want a 
constant inflow of information that is not relevant. No, and imagine what it'd be like with everything coming at you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It will just swamp you. So I would like to come back then to the energy and um, physics topic. Um, and especially that the objective of my podcast is to bridge psychology as, as a type of science and spirituality together because my own conviction is that those are two sides of the same coin. What is your view of that? Because you clearly get both parts in yourself being psychotherapist and a shaman as well. Yeah. Um, I think they are. Uh, in fact, it doesn't seem reasonable that they're not. And I've had occasion, um, as I said, husband was an ex-particle physicist, um, used to work in all sorts of very, very big sort of high-level stuff. And because of him, I've been able to go and do some very low-level work um, with these people myself. I can understand concepts because he's very good at telling me what quantum entanglement is about in language that sounds like the cat, the cat sat on the mat. I don't need equations and great long words and things. He doesn't, so I can understand it. Mm -hmm. So I was able to go in 2017 to Cullum. That's the um, nuclear fusion research place near Oxford to their summer school. Mm -hmm. The people who are going to the, the summer school are largely students, but there's some of us old fogies there as well. And the the tutors are absolutely cutting edge. I mean, the woman who runs it is one of the top laser women in the world. Mm -hmm. And she goes and teaches in Caltech and everywhere, you know, around the world, and that sort of thing. And when they're that kind of level, they're really nice to talk to because they, they know it, like me with the shamanism, they know their stuff in their bones. So they can move conversations around so you can understand it. Now, Jo, the lovely woman who is running the course, um, we made friends, uh, partly because she's, she's she, I think she's done it now. She was trying to write a science fiction book. So we were there, da-da-da-da-da, you know, about science fiction and witchcraft and shamanism and science. And I've always been fascinated with quantum. Me too. Isn't it just? It's like... We actually started talking about what they call quantum entanglement, mm -hmm. which is when two things happen at a distance and this one turns around and at the same time that one turns around. And it wouldn't matter if this one was on Uranus and this one was on Earth. That is what happens when you think to someone, when you can, if we could actually, we were both good enough that we could go, Ping, and I could ping a thought into you and you could ping one straight back to me. Mm -hmm. And we both have it, regardless of where we were. So we were talking about that and she said, yeah, um, we don't understand much about quantum entanglement yet, mm -hmm. although we know it happens. It's now big stuff if you're into computers because this is how they're doing quantum computing. So what is the difference? They're calling this quantum. Mm -hmm. And we're calling this um, instant communication. You know, we're talking, we're saying this is instant psychic mm -hmm. communication. Telepathy. Telepathy, yeah. 
Yeah. And so what is the difference? And Joe was sort of saying, we don't know. And why not? Because they're, you know, they're such good scientists, they don't need to prove them anything. So they're saying, why not? We're not going to talk about that on TV because we'd probably lose our jobs. And that's not a good idea because, you know, you get slated by the tabloids. But in private, yes, we will talk about things like that. Now, Paul had an experience long ago as a scientist. He had to measure particles going through a vacuum. They, so they did this over several weeks and he photographed them and all this sort of thing. And his boss, when he brought the results to his boss and he was saying, hmm, this is looking a bit weird. And his boss said, the only way I can explain that is a particle moving backwards in time. That's super interesting how quantum entanglement as science relates so much to the spiritual world. And it's not surprising that quantum scientists would not talk much about it because there's so much, so many things that we cannot yet prove that could be taken against them because science world is like you don't say anything before you prove it. But it's fascinating. It is. So speaking about energy then, as far as I understand, obviously that also confirmed by physics, there is there are two different ways to think about life through energy and through matter that can also be applied to the essence of our beings, right? What we're talking about, that we are all in bodies as a form, as a matter, but then inside of us there is this spiritual or energetic being that is of, of a similar nature to all beings in life, in a way. So how does this connect with with the phenomenon of death, for instance. We I think we touched on this before a little bit on, on how a form dissolves and bring on life again. So it's it's a circle. But then what happens do you think on a spiritual level, on a spirit level, when when we die as a as an earth being? Well we no longer need what my dad used to call was the spacesuit for getting around on planet Earth, i.e. our body. <laughs> He used to call it the spacesuit for getting around on planet Earth, which I thought was rather good. <clears throat> so we don't need it anymore. Mm -hmm. So our spirit can go out of the body, which it does, and work with other spirits. But it doesn't, your spirit doesn't die. Mm. Um, it goes on and it grows and it burns more things and it comes back and does some more incarnation and goes around again. So that is also a circle as well, uh, that you're continuously learning. For what? For what? Like, what's the purpose of learning? Earth is growing. Earth is a being as well. Earth is spirit, as well as all the rocks and soil and mud and trees and everything as well. Everything is curious. Um, you're curious. You're a, you are a curious person. You, are, you have curiosity. Um, have you got any, uh, do you live with any animals? Not at the moment, but I would really, really like a cat. <laughs> <laughs> and have you ever lived with animals? Yes, I grew up with animals. Yeah. And 
they play, they are curious, they go and look for something, they don't understand something, they pounce on it if it's a cat and um, discover what it is. And everything has curiosity. And I know we can't see it in trees because they work so slowly, for instance, but there's been a lot of science now done that shows that trees are just as curious, just as interconnected as we are. They have families, they help each other, they even feed each other. Yeah, through mushroom networks, right? That's right. Um, and uh, that lovely uh, German bloke, uh, Peter Walben, who wrote uh, The Hidden Life of Trees, I think it's called. And he tells you what he's discovered. So there's all of these things that they're curious. They want to know more. And it's like us. And when you learn something new, it's exciting. So does it mean that then curiosity is the driving force of life and that the learning is perpetual in a way? I think so. Um, it is. That's how I see it. Um, other people will have different ideas, of course. But for me, it's this, what's that? How does that work? What am I doing? Oh, goodness, how do I work with that? It's so important. And I think it is for everything. That's part of what they call consciousness. It's like sensing into everything, the discovering what it is that, like a baby, you know, discovers that water is liquid, the ice is cold. And then they realize gradually that that becomes water. And they see the kettle going and that steam. And it's like, oh, what? What? How wow, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think we're all like that. I mean, look at the news when something new happens. <laughs> <laughs> that That's true. But I feel like when we were kids, of course, but right now when we are all grown-ups just heading to the office every day, looking in the laptop, where is this curiosity? <laughs> is it lost? Oh, you've hit on my work, Natalia. <laughs> you've hit on my work. <laughs> um, nowadays, um, my living, my work life, is about helping women, business women, to put the soul back in their business. And that is about exactly what you're talking about. We've all had boyfriends. I'm sure you've had boyfriends. And you first meet the guy and it's like, oh, wow, God, he's so hot. It's fantastic. Whoa. And you have this fantastic relationship. And After a while, with many relationships, it goes boom, 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 boom. <laughs> That's true. Isn't it so? And that's because when we're first with someone, it's really exciting and they're new. Novelty, of course. And we are exciting. We are exciting in the same way because we're excited. And they're exciting because they're excited. Mm -hmm. And then... We sort of get into ploddiness, what I call being plod, 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 and we forget to be exciting. Mm. We forget to be interested in the other person. And we forget, I mean, some couples forget to talk completely. Now, this happens in your business. You know, you start off with this brilliant idea of I'm going to be a whatever it is you're going to be. Um, and... 
I'm going to be this marvellous coach. I'm going to do this. I really want to serve people this way. I've got a lot to give. I can really help them. And then you get to a place where the client's coming in and the money's coming in and everything's rolling fine and you know what you're going to say to the person. Oh, pardon? (laughs) You know what you're going to say to this new person who's just arrived? You're going to come out with the same old, same old? No, 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 no. If you're going to sell double glazing, sell windows, and you come out with the same old patter to everybody, this goes, I'll go away. Mm -hmm. If you come out with something really exciting and new and you have the excitement energy in you, they'll listen to you. So what I help people to do and help women to do is to get that excitement back. And to bring that into their business so that their business becomes exciting and then it motors on and it changes and it grows and they do new things and they're exciting and their clients are exciting. So that's life. Plod, plod, plod isn't life. (laughs) (laughs) This is a beautiful work that you're doing and... This is so purposeful and, and impactful, as I'm sure so many women and not only women are in this trap of just, you know, losing curiosity, losing yourself, losing the, the zest for life. And, and yeah, it's, it's, it's great to, to be able to regain it back again. And I guess when you are doing this work, you also need to always be aware of something new and exciting that you can bring into, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Otherwise, I am boring too. (laughs) You are very far from it. (laughs) Uh, At the moment. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. And I wanted to uh, bring our conversation back to the energies and spiritual world because I just cannot get enough of it. (laughs) And I feel like we were talking a lot about purity like pure energy spirits and and you know connection but there's also a dark side to it there are also i guess dark energies as well so what is your view on dark energies within the universe or human psyche and dark matter for this matter yeah Uh, and how these two are connected if if they are um i think they are Practically nobody knows much about dark energy in the physics sense um, and very little more about dark matter. Um, I do know how they look for it and how they find it. Um, That's very interesting and very complicated, Um, but also quite boring because you have to keep doing it and doing it and doing it. On the spiritual side, there's been a lot, and particularly in through the various religions, that the dark is bad and the light is good. Mm -hmm. Okay, so just imagine if there was never any night time. Yeah, we couldn't appreciate the day. And what do you? how light do you think it is actually when you're in the womb, waiting, you know, growing and waiting to be born? Yeah, it's dark. Pretty dark. And... A story which comes from one of my favourite authors, um, Ursula Le Guin. Oh, I love Ursula Le Guin. She does the stories about wizards. She has a story where these people are out in the snow and Mm -hmm. they get in what's called a whiteout, 
which is when everything is white and you can't tell sky from ground, mm. you can't see the sun, it's just whiteness. Um, I think she describes it's like being inside um, a ping pong ball, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, um, because, and I have been in that situation up in Scotland and it is very weird. And there is no shadow. So you walk forward in the snow, mm-hmm. but you can't see where you are because there's no shadow to show your footprint. And it's actually very scary because you, you don't know what's in front of you. You don't know whether there's a huge, great crevasse in front of you, you're going to walk into a river or whatever. And without shadow, we don't see anything. Mm-hmm. And we can't make out anything. And we need the darkness to sleep as well, as I said just now. And all of nature needs the dark. The birds need it to sleep in. The animals do. The trees need it because it changes their energy and then they photosynthesize in the sunlight and then they rest in the dark, Mm -hmm. giving out the oxygen for us. So dark is vital. And you said earlier, it was lovely, you said, Physics and spirituality are like two sides of one coin. And that's how it is for me. The light and the dark are the two sides of one coin. I do love the light. I mean, I don't know how you feel about when it goes from summer into autumn. I'm always a bit sort of like, mm, it's going to get darker. <laughs> yes. um, Same. But now I'm in it, it's actually fun. Mm-hmm. And I can see the moon better and I can go out for walks in the moonlight and things like that, which is, you know, I'd have to stay up much later to do that in the summer. Yeah. So those two things add to each other and therefore create a whole thing, a whole experience. So I guess it's the same way with the human psyche because we all have this shadow side of ourselves all those qualities that we either don't like in ourselves or we just not aware of those because we just don't think that we are certain qualities we we don't even admit it and therefore they just being pushed somewhere and although many may think that you know if you push something very far away it's gone it's actually not gone (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no it isn't you're quite right <laughs> so does it mean that it's still useful um because we there is a reason why we are pushing yes. it uh somewhere deep inside right so is it useful and if it is why why do we not like it and and how to to come to terms with it yes it's useful it's absolutely vital um okay very small demonstration if you cut your finger it hurts mm-hmm yeah? Yeah. You don't like pain. I don't like pain. You know, so, ow, sort of thing with your cut finger. But if you didn't feel the pain, you'd just bleed everywhere. And your cut would get septic because you wouldn't realize it was there and you wouldn't clean it. Mm-hmm. So the dark thing, the pain in this case, is vital in order that you can actually look after yourself. You get a pain in your stomach or you get a headache. So you think, what's wrong? Do I need to look at that? So it's a warning. It is, partly. But also, when we push things away, 
if you, there you are in the kitchen and you've just chopped all the vegetables up and you put the good bits in the pan and the other bits and you just roll them up in some plastic and stick them in a corner in the cupboard, what are they going to do? Stink. Yes. Yeah. It's going to be uh, definitely revolting. When you push things away that you haven't dealt with, like the pain in your finger, um, but, you know, like you were angry with somebody and they shouted at you and that hurts. And when you push that away, you effectively roll all your rotten vegetables up in some plastics that they can't do anything but rot and mm-hmm. they will end up stinking. And, of course, the more your vegetables stink, the more you hate it and dislike it and hopefully do something about it. So what to um, do? So, well, again, you're back on my work again. You have to learn to compost inside, not just out of your kitchen caddy. Things happen to people. We get what we call scripts that we're given that you're told at school or that your parents always did this and or that your teacher always said that, and all the friends you had at school always did so-and-so. And it didn't actually really fit with you, but you had to go along with it anyway, because life would be very uncomfortable if you didn't. Mm-hmm. Those things stay, and then we're grown up, and we may have a lot more chance to choose. But you have to... Um, Back to the kitchen caddy again, you've got these rolls of plastic with disgusting vegetable rot inside them. You have to go inside and take the same sort of stuff out of you, these old scripts. You know, somebody told you you couldn't draw. Oh, you're rubbish at drawing, (laughs) which you do, of course. But you might actually be quite good at drawing. It was just this person told you that you weren't. So you have to take it all out and get it through the compost Caddy, get it through the compost machine. And then it goes and it goes away because it it turns in the compost, it turns the old vegetables turn into earth. Mm. And you've grown new seeds in it. Same thing happens with the old rubbish that you've got. It dissolves away. But you have to take it out, look at it, clean it up, and say, Thank you very much. I don't need you anymore. That kind of thing. So I don't need to be told I can't draw anymore. I can draw if I want to draw. It's fine. Mm-hmm. I don't need to listen to that anymore. So from what I'm hearing, it seems to be that we need to be aware and conscious enough to realize what it is that is wired in us as a belief and then yeah. have a courage to look at it, realize for what purpose it was ingrained in us, think it, and then it will be gone, right? Uh, Yes, when you've made friends with it, you have to stop hating it. So this is a difficult part. How do you stop hating it if you hate (laughs) it? Let's say I have something that I don't like about myself and I completely realize where it's coming from. I've analyzed myself down to so many triggers. I am completely aware, but then I, and and I can even say thank you to, to the thing because I know that it made me who I am, but I just can't stop hating it. (laughs) What do I do? Usually, and I find this for myself, you need someone else. You need someone to tell it out loud to. And telling it out loud 
and watching the other person, listening to how they respond back to you, that helps you to get over this hating the bad, the thing that you don't like in yourself. And one, as I said, one of the um, learning trainings that I got was in Jung, and Jung was very much into this. I mean, he said there's masses of unconscious stuff that we never know about, and mm-hmm. the idea is bring it all up to the consciousness. But he was also that you've got to, you can't destroy something because you hate it. Um, and hatred is, you know, if you were thinking about it in, I don't know, a detective story or something, um, it might be like vengeance. Somebody would, I hate them, I'm going to kill them, I'm going to kill their cat or something and really get back at them. And these certain things happen in stories. Um, They do happen in real life too. But it doesn't get you anywhere. The hatred only eats you. Yeah. That makes sense. And hatred really does eat you. And it also adds energy to the things that I want to be gone, right? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely right. Yes. So what we call in gardening, feeding the weeds. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, I understand that. So how, besides the fact that it's helpful to talk to someone and maybe that would release this hating energy and, and, and just let it go, but... Besides that, is it the only thing that we can do? Like, how do you actually let go of this hatred or or dark energy? How do you release it? Everybody has their own way. Mm. Everybody has their own way. And this is from 30 years of doing this stuff with people. But it always comes out by talking about it, sometimes by screaming and ranting and raving about it and putting all that hatred that you haven't dared to put out in a voice before, Mm. to put it out in a voice to someone who's not going to hurt you. Mm. Um, I've even done stuff um, with people with um, literally physically and uh, a couple, I was working with a couple, and they had a real mother-in-law problem Mm -hmm. and they hated her. Both of them hated her. And so I said, okay, what would you like to do with her? (laughs) I'm going to kill her. So I said, okay. And I got a big box of junk crockery for, you know, a couple of quid from the junk shop. And I said, like, you bring along some piece of crockery that is the symbol for your mother-in-law. And we went out in my yard and I got them to throw plates at it and break the plates and break it. And at first they were sort of like... (laughs) useless go on throw it (laughs) and eventually they were really doing it and they came out of it and they said it's all gone Hmm. I've just put it all out there I don't feel like that about her anymore instead of you know she comes in and she's being a pain in the neck and all that sort of thing so instead of taking her on and shouting at her or trying to calm her down or trying to tell her something else. I just walk out the room. Hmm. That's interesting. So basically... And I don't have the confrontation. Yeah. So basically, it means that releasing this negative mental energies is possible through 
other mediums such as physical yeah. body or movement, right? And actually speaking about movement yeah. and your experience in dance, mm. do you also use the techniques yeah. from dance to help people? Yes, um, in two ways. One is that we, I mean, I live right out in the country in very beautiful countryside. So quite often we will do our therapy work going for a walk. Mm -hmm. And so that comes out in the physical movement of the walking. And sometimes if somebody's getting really angry and I know, I know, for instance, there's one walk that we do and there's a lovely place where I can sit down on a couple of stones. And if they race up this hill, they can race up to this beautiful pool and then race back down again. And mm -hmm. so I'll sort of get the stopwatch out and say, right, how fast can you do this? Go on, go for it. Because they're much younger than me, so they can. <laughs> and even just that movement, and they come back down the hill and going, oh, that's better. May not all be gone, mm -hmm. but they feel better because they pushed all of that anger energy into running. Yeah. And, and let it go. They used it, and then it was gone out of the body. It also, chemically, it works because you will, like, take the things like adrenaline and the other things there, and you'll use them for the physical activity that they are meant for instead of using them to churn, churn, churn in your mind. Mm -hmm. So it works, you know, both spiritually and physically with the body as well. Mm -hmm. And so does talking, so does crying. I mean, how many people cry? Sometimes I mean, it's difficult. Some, I know some. Sometimes it's yeah. difficult to cry. And so it's difficult to yeah. push yourself to do a physical exercise. Yes, there are studies and people know yeah. that it's very helpful to get yourself out of, you know, doom, gloom, moon. But Absolutely. it's so difficult to <laughs> push yourself to do this first step, to get yourself out to walk, to... To do yeah. the first step, it's super difficult to cry. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where the other person, if they're a nice, empathic, kindly sort of person who will push you, hmm. that's where they can do it. And um, not the sort of person who you start crying, they promptly say, oh, there, there, dear, it's going to be all right. They're the sort of person, say, go on, that's a pretty ro ropey sort of crying. Get on with it. Have some tissues. And then make it come out of you. I mean, that, mm -hmm. that was a rough way. And there's lots of better <laughs> ways to do it than that. Um, I mean, even like sometimes you can touch some someone. Sometimes you mustn't. Sometimes if you touch them, it will stop mm -hmm. the crying. So, you know, you mustn't. You've got to leave them out there and get them to really get into it. And then it works. And again, that uses the energy. Mm -hmm. And that moves it so that it can go off and do different yeah, things. Yeah, you need to be very aware of yourself as well to know when to touch and yeah. when not to and oh yeah and speaking again about the dance i think when we were talking before the recording you told me about laban techniques that you use yes. in your programs and just for our listeners rudolf laban is one of the founders of european modern dance and he has yes also advocated for expressing freedom through dance and he has established um the status of dance as a form of art so he has been very influential yeah. influential man in in the dance world so how do you use 
Laban techniques in, in your programs? Well, first of all, I've got to say it's absolutely delightful to hear somebody who knows him. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I don't meet that many people who do. But he knew that moving is an expression of freedom. Now, you've got to be free inside yourself to be conscious. So that is part of this getting this freedom. But there's also very interesting side of it. Um, I'll use my hands. So we're looking at my left hand, but mm -hmm. watch my right hand. Mm -hmm. So this is my conscious hand. This is the hand that I'm waving at you with. Mm -hmm. What am I doing with this hand? What am I doing with this side of my face? And if you could see my whole body, what am I doing with this side of my body? Because that will tell you mm -hmm. how conscious I am of my whole body. Mm. And that in turn will start to tell you how conscious I am of things that I'm not actually using at the moment. Mm. And I use this a lot. Um, it's part of what you call body language. And, you know, people have got the, are you looking up? It's so-and-so, you're looking down, it's so-and-so. Um, but it's much more subtle than that. And you can learn a lot more about people by understanding that, you know, this movement, but this is the shadow movement. So we're back on the shadow and the darkness again. Hmm. This is your shadow movement. What is the shadow movement saying? So what is this saying normally? <laughs> it depends on, it, it totally depends on, on this movement and what has spurred this movement on what is going to happen with this movement. Hmm. So it could be, you would understand, oh, let's take a really sort of, blatant one somebody might be being very gentle on this side but this side is sort of going like that mm, very constrained yeah so they want you to look at this one mm. but this side of them wants to punch you on the nose mm -hmm. um so you think oh right okay <laughs> <laughs> there's some stuff going on there um it that's very very blatant and usually it's much more subtle than that And it does take some learning because you have to, you know, like being very aware of whether to touch someone or not. You have to be very aware of, oh, right, okay, I see what the difference is. I see whether there's tension here or whether there's total release here. Mm. And this one's the, the direct movement is being tense, whatever. So it takes a lot of learning, but I use it. Um, it's more difficult now I'm working a lot on Zoom. Yeah, I was just I'm, about I'm to say. I'm only looking at you from the shoulders. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I can still do it. Can you say anything? Just out of curiosity. <laughs> what can you say? Um, that you're slightly worrying about what time it is. Uh, well, I was slightly worrying about whether we would overrun the one hour of, of the podcast. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Which I absolutely don't mind, <laughs> but I'm just caring of uh, our <laughs> listeners. But it's incredible. <laughs> what, what else? <laughs> um, it's just little things like there's some slight movements and tensions in um you'll you'll be looking at me and you're using your right hand for your microphone mm -hmm. so you're more right right sided so i'm looking at what's in the left side and the left side of the face mm -hmm. and which side you're looking and how your head is going whether you're 
going that way or that way. Mm -hmm. And it just builds up. And I can't say this showed me that because I've done it for so long. It's like, oh, that build up. Yeah, she's she's worrying about the clock. Mm. You know, she's worrying about whether we're going to overrun, whether the time's okay, what we're going to do. So it's just little things like that. I think we talked about conscious and unconscious and how we can be conscious of certain and certain things and unconscious of others or how we can unconsciously put certain shadow dark things somewhere deep inside and and not to be able to to work with that so in how does this conscious and unconscious connect to consciousness as a whole is consciousness a combined term for both conscious from like conscious for me as a human being i'm conscious of of something and unconscious or whatever is happening but it's still under an umbrella of consciousness is that the right way to understand things there's a whole lot of okay you don't have to consciously with your mind make your heart tick do you no your heart goes boom yeah. boom 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 quite happily by itself mm-hmm. your lungs do the breathing thing mm-hmm. quite happily by themselves um your digestion does the digesting yeah. thing you don't have to think it into action so your unconscious is a bit like that it's the stuff that's happening anyway um and your conscious is a bit like you're holding the microphone and i'm waving my hands around mm-hmm. and moving and those are the conscious bits but as a dancer again one of the things we're taught to do is to be aware if possible and it is possible of every muscle in your body mm-hmm. and be able to move just that muscle and you can, i used to be able to do this this is 40 years ago <laughs> i can't do it now um but then you become aware of all the things that you are people find i don't do yoga but people say that when you do yoga you can actually become aware of the breathing in a very much stronger way than you and i well i certainly can mm-hmm. without it and aware of your heart and aware of what your digestion is actually doing and it's a case in that sense of focusing on it of mm-hmm. paying attention to it giving it your attention so is and then consciousness an awareness if you are aware of something mm-hmm. consciously this is yeah. consciousness yeah yeah i think so yeah so yeah okay it's just i was thinking and again it's just one of my different thoughts that i have regarding the way how the world works uh and i was thinking that consciousness it's it's a collective it's a, it's a, it's a type of mm-hmm. a collective energy so, somewhat similar to what we were discussing in the beginning the this um energy that unites us all beings and it has its intellect like it's inherent intellect yeah. and yeah what we are as beings and everything that is life in us meaning both conscious thoughts and 
unconscious representation mm-hmm. of life, like heartbeat or a breath, that mm. all is combined into this universal consciousness. But this this is just the way I yes. used to think. But what do you think about it? I think I think that's quite a good interpretation. Um, I like it. Um, as Jung said, the idea is to become more conscious and more aware of more of the things that go on on autopilot. Yeah. Um, underneath us, um, and I think that is so. The con- the unconscious is conscious in itself. It's only unconscious to us. Mm-hmm that we are unconscious of it, Mm -hmm. but it is conscious of itself, as you were saying, Mm -hmm. and conscious probably, and well, yes, conscious definitely of us. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you had your, um, you were living with your animals Mm -hmm. earlier. Now they understand you, but I mean, I'm still not terribly brilliant at cat, (laughs) but my cat is exceptionally good at English. (laughs) And I am just not up to her speed on that. <laughs> and I've had cats all my life um, and horses and dogs as well. They understand us much better than we understand them. Is it because they and are just more able to focus at the present moment and, and, and give way to their instincts? Partly, well, um, partly, but they read like... You know, you ask me, okay, what am I thinking now? And I said, the clock. Um, They read that. Mm -hmm. They read my body language. They read my energy language. Mm. Um, And I know that because, uh, you know, I've I've only got to be a bit frustrated, you know, like I just burned a saucepan or something in the kitchen, come out, and the cats are like, oh, (laughs) you know, she's in a mood. She's got one on. Um, And she knows probably before my husband would know. Mm. Um, And because they are the connection between what is unconscious to us is they don't have the same disconnect that we do. Mm. They're they're right through all the time. They're connected all the time. Mm. And this is my experience and I've worked with, I've got, several friends who are animal whisperers in various forms. And we all, we talk about this and we sort of say, they're much more aware of everything than most humans are. And of course you were saying earlier about modern life and, you know, right at the beginning, how did I manage Mm -hmm. to fit so much in? Um, People nowadays, they get, I've got to do this now. I've got to do this now. I've got to do this now. Yeah. And I can't do that. I can't I don't want to know about that because it's I can't I won't be able to do this. So we shut things out. Humans shut things out and I don't think any other creature or plant or anything else on the planet does. Yeah. Not like we do. I think it's it's our how do you call it? It 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 can be called our curse to have such a sophisticated brain that allows us to think about different things abstractly and also observe the the world around us so that sometimes we are so stuck in this abstract thinking about what 
what is past and what is future? What am I supposed to do in five, 10, 15 minutes from now that yeah. it prevents us from actually noticing the real world, the, the yeah. present moments and, and be in tune and sync with it? I agree with the last part. I don't agree with your cause. I think it's nothing to do with the size of our brain or sophistication of our brain. I think it's to do with our stupidity <laughs> of trying to control and fix everything in life. Um, I think we put ourselves in that box because, for instance, I do notice things. I think you notice an awful lot that goes on around you. I expect you know quite a lot of people who do. But an awful lot of people, they don't, they don't, they don't even hear a bird singing in a tree above them. Yeah. It's like, I'm only living in here. That's true. And it, it's, it's, they don't, they're afraid to live And they're not else. curious. They don't know how to. <laughs> they lost the excitement. If they are, it's too dangerous to come out of the box to find out about it. <laughs> because again, they may have built certain beliefs about themselves that it's not safe yeah. to go out and it's yeah. just familiar yeah. to them and safe. And it's, again, those are those stinky vegetables that they were not able to put yes, out. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ellen, yeah. it was such an incredible, empowering, enriching conversation. What would you like to add as, as a note to our listeners so that we start to close it? Although I really want to continue for hours. Well, maybe we should do it again. Yes, sometime. I would love to. I would love to. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much, Natalia. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it too. Uh, I, I hope we've. In, I hope everybody else is enjoying it, listening to it too. But what would I give? What would I like to give you all tonight? Um, yeah, really simple. Go wild. Do something completely wild and crazy, even if it's like find a hill and roll down it. <laughs> wow. Sit in the mud. Jump up and down in a puddle. Scuff leaves because it's autumn. Do something that you don't normally do. Just let yourself out for a minute. Thank you. I'm trying to do that every day. <laughs> Thank you. This is so refreshing, <laughs> empowering, fun, curious activity that you're suggesting. Thank you. I've never thought about it this way. And for our listeners who want to learn more about Ellen and her work, uh, she has written many books. But if you want to understand more about her background and her growing up, those are the two books that you can check out. One is All Woman and another one is Ellen of the Way. I hope you have enjoyed our conversation and do check out Ellen's work. She's an incredible human being. Thank you so much, Ellen. Thank you, Natalia.